Welcome to Vision Magnified. We are a podcast that showcases the blind community living limitlessly. Breaking barriers and smashing stereotypes. Proving that we are more than just our disability. You don't look blind. How do you see your phone? If you're blind, how do you read your comments? You're not blind. You're holding a camera. You can't be blind. You're riding a bike. If you're blind, where are your handlers? How come you're out here all by yourself? How do you see with just that stick? You can't be blind. Stop faking it. Stop faking it. Stop faking it. There are a lot of common misconceptions that sighted people have about blind people. And a lot of these are comments that friends of mine, as well as myself, have received both in real life and on our social media. Blindness is a spectrum, and we can say that day in and day out until we are blue in the face. But the fact of the matter is, until we have reached the general public, blindness will always have a look. What is that look, you might ask? Well, according to the comments that I've received, or that my friends have received, blindness looks like somebody who is lost, who wears dark sunglasses, big hats with large bills or brims, someone who sits in a corner and lets everything happen to them. They are coddled to and catered to. They are given everything because they can't do anything. This is far from the truth. One of the reasons that I wanted to do this podcast is to show showcase the amazing things that our blind community is capable of doing. Many blind people can do what sighted people never dared. And it's not so much to distinguish between blind or sighted or to put down the sighted community or to just just to bring up the blind community. But one of the things I wanted to do with this podcast is to show everyone that blindness is a vast spectrum and its hues are just as different as the races, cultures, and genders that make up its communities. We wanted to showcase on this podcast all the many things that blind people can do and how vastly talented, educated, and adventurous our blind community is. My goal with this podcast has always been to educate the sighted community on all of the things that we are capable of and then some. Another reason I think I wanted to do this podcast is because I think blind people have misconceptions of other blind people. I think when we're born blind, sometimes we limit ourselves and we think that just because we are born blind, we're born limited. And even if we never use our vision as an excuse, even if we try to use our vision as a reason to thrive, I think in the back of our minds, some of us anyway, including myself, always put limitations into our future because we always feel like maybe we won't be enough, we won't do enough, we won't be able to give enough because we're limited. We're just always limited no matter how much we wish we were not. I'm finding through doing this podcast that it's really not about the disability, but about the mindset of the person who has a disability. The best representation about mindset and what you can do 
even with a disability such as blindness, is my guest today. So without any further ado, what it do, baby booze? As you might have guessed from the catchphrase, our guest today is everyone's favorite blind little sis, Vicky Nicole from TikTok. From her educational tutorials on MacBook disability settings to her hype shoutouts, she has made a name for herself in the blind talk community. As if that isn't enough, she's also a criminal justice major and the leader of one of the most amazing blind communities I've ever been privileged to take part in. Vicky, welcome to the show. Hey, Vicky. Hey. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. I'm excited and kind of nervous to be conducting this interview, but um, yeah. <laughs> You're going to do great, girl. I'm nervous. <laughs> oh, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. So tell us about your condition, Vicky. My condition is called uh, pseudotumor cerebri, um, also known as idiopathic intracranial hypertension. Um, so pretty much um, for unknown medical reasons, um, I had increased pressure of spinal fluid that got built up. Um, and since I was in the military at the time and I was overseas in Japan, they really didn't know um, what caused it or what started. Um, and at the time, this is probably like 2000. 16 it was still kind of rare at the time um so they didn't really know what to really do about the increased pressure um especially being overseas and the doctors were japanese they we really couldn't communicate with each other honestly i didn't have a translator i didn't really know any procedures that they were doing i didn't know any of the medications i was on i literally knew nothing so they put me in the hospital for like an entire month without um uh what's the word I'm looking for, relieving me of the pressure. Um, they were supposed to like uh, give me spinal taps, which pretty much is a big, big needle going in your spine and it drains out the spinal fluid. Um, and since they didn't do that and it took over a month before anyone else did do that, do that actual procedure, um, the spinal fluid seeped in behind the eyes and pinched off the optic nerves. Um, oh, wow. And yeah. And so by the time they did fly me back out to, um, San Diego, California, that's when they were able to do the procedures. I had to get them done probably eight separate different times because it just kept the, the fluid just kept being built up. So I had to get periodically spinal taps to reduce the, the spinal fluid. And because it took so long for them to do it, that's where the nerve damage came in and left me legally blind. So um, so you were in the military when this happened. Um, about what age did this occur? Um, let's see. I was, I was 20 years old and it happened probably, probably the day or two before Christmas. Cause I remember spending Christmas in the hospital. Um, and I remember, I remember not knowing, like, I didn't know the day actually, cause I couldn't see my phone. And so when the doctor came in and was like, uh, how was your Christmas yesterday? And I was like, yesterday was Christmas. I said, well, I mean, I didn't know it was Christmas and I was here. So that should tell you how my Christmas went. Um, so I was 20, about to be, I probably was like four months away from my 21st birthday. So what happened was, okay, so it happened around Christmas, right? And mm -hmm. in the military, when there's holidays coming up, they pretty much shut everything down um, for maybe around four days. So you have the, pretty much the day before the holiday, then the actual holiday, and then it's called Family's Day, which is the day after that. And then overseas is called PACAF. PACAF stands for like Pacific Air Force. Those are like islands like Jap uh, Japan, 
uh, Guam, Hawaii, stuff like that. So since I was in Japan, we had a pack aft day. So pretty much we had a four day weekend. Um, so after I started losing my vision uh, around Christmas, there was those days um, around Christmas where they were shut down besides the emergency room. And so I couldn't actually get to get be seen by an eye doctor. And then right where New Year's is at, that's another four days. So all those happening back to back, I was not able to get seen into like by an eye doctor until January 4th. Mind you, my vision started losing. I had double vision and was admitted January 24th, I think. I mean, not January, December 24th. So from that up until January 4th, I had no one look at my eyes. No one. Um, and so when I did get seen on January 4th, that's when they discovered I had hemorrhaging behind the eyes. Um, they saw like blood build up. And because the the military hospital didn't have a MRI machine only the Japanese hospital off base, probably 30 minutes away. They were the only ones who had the machine. So they told me they were going to send me there right away. Like they were getting the ambulance, all that. And I would only be there for two days so they can do the scans and, and give them the results and stuff like that. So the two days ended up turning into a whole month. They just left me there. Like I, it, it was so bad. It was so horrible. I didn't understand what was going on. I was losing track of the days. I could only tell the days by like how many times the sun came up pretty much. So I was trying to keep track in my head. Um, and they never once told my family I was in the hospital. They were supposed to contact my family, my leadership. They never did. So my family went probably almost two, three weeks without hearing from me, without even knowing I was in the hospital losing my vision. Oh my gosh, that's terrible when this is already happening so this happened over a course of like a month or so yes. what were they doing with you in the military like you fly or or do anything that you would do in the air force no i could not so when they when they had initially put me in the hospital at the end of december they put me on what's called quarters which pretty much is like a, a absence from work so you, you're not allowed to go to work um and i had this one sergeant lady um who was part of my leadership she came to see me in my dorm after I got released from the hospital the first time and she was like, you can't see anything. And I was like, I, I see double. I see two of you standing in front of me. And it was actually her and another man that came. So I said, instead of seeing two of y'all, there's four y'all in front of me right now. So everything is doubled. Like I, it's really making me dizzy, even just having my eyes open. And so she told me, she's like, well, we still need you to come into work. And I was like, Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes. I was like, um, I'm on quarters. They put me on quarters. I can't work. And she was like, and I was like, and also I can't see. And at the time, my job, what I originally went in was to cook. So I was a chef. But like what the military does, they try to make the job seem better than what it actually is. They tell you, oh, yeah, you're going to be a chef and you're going to cook for commanders and and high up officials. Girl, I was a lunch lady. That's what that was. Like It was nothing special. Yeah, I was literally a lunch lady, like cooking for other uh, military members like breakfast, lunch, dinner, midnight meal. Like that's what it was. So I did that for probably about a year. And before um, it was, then I did that for probably about a year maybe. And then they uh, promoted me to be the accountant of the facility. Accountant? Um, Yep, the accountant. And the girl, I was like, first of all, I said, this is that job for the accountant handling all that money. That was supposed to be for two ranks higher than what I was. So I was like, not even like, qualified to do that job technically but they promoted me to do it anyway because i 
I guess I was showing good leadership skills just by cooking because I had people work underneath me. So I had assigned people to cook certain things and and do the paperwork. So they already saw I could do good paperwork. So they promoted me to be the accountant for the dining facility. So when she told me to come into work, she was saying, oh, while you were gone on leave, no one the person who was supposed to have did your job didn't do it. So there's a lot of money that needs to be counted. Pretty much a, a month's worth of money needs to be counted. Oh and, my gosh. Yeah. And so like Microsoft Excel and you know, those tiny, tiny little boxes. I was like, ma'am, I can't see. Like I really can't see. I had to leave my car at the hospital. Cause I'm not allowed to drive. You want me to walk to work and then do a month's worth of paperwork while my vision is like this. And she told me to just put an eye patch on. Are you kidding me? Yes. She told me to put an eye patch on. And I was like, <sighs> and I'm like, in the military, when they tell you to do something, you really don't have a choice. Right. So, so I'm like, okay, well, first of all, I don't even have an eye patch. So I guess I'm going to just cover my eye. So I, I remember that they, I had to walk down. A, I was on the third floor of my dorm. So I had to walk down the hallway and then go down three flights of stairs. Go outside. Mind you, this is in what December so it's snowing it's a lot of snow in 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 Japan so I had to walk through snow I remember I had to cross the street cross two parking lots and then up another up another flight of steps seeing double vision like it was so bad I I don't know how I managed to do that but she she told me I had to so I went in I went into my office and I literally just couldn't see nothing. Like I saw the computer screen, but I couldn't see anything on it. The, everything was double. And so I had to text her and say, look, I came in, I tried, but I cannot physically do this. Like I physically can't see it. And if you don't want this money to be messed up, then you're gonna have to have someone else do it because I'm not going to be held responsible. I'm not even supposed to be here. I'm on quarters. And so she said, okay, well, thanks for trying anyway. And I'm just like, so I had to walk all the way back and just, just wait until the, um, the doctor for the eye doctor was open January 4th. So I am much- literally sitting here like with my mouth agape, like what? Like no. I, can't, mm-hmm. I can't even believe this. Mm-hmm. Were you in pain during all of this? I was in so much pain, so much pain. Cause what I had originally went in to get seen was for upper back pain, like right at the base of my skull. And then like, right at like where my shoulders were at that's why I initially went in like when I would stand up I would see like green and black spots but it was nothing that I was like oh something's wrong with my vision like I really didn't think of nothing I thought it was like because I had a pinched nerve or Mm -hmm. something so when I would go you know how it is in the military if you're in pain all they do is give you ibuprofen like unless it's something super super serious like ibuprofen and they send you on your way so I I remember from from when from it, when it first started, December twenty fourth up until January fourth, I probably went to the emergency room maybe four or five times, um, and I know maybe two or three of those times I had to call an ambulance because I physically couldn't move because I was in that much pain. And each time I went to the hospital, they kept giving me a different pain medication mm-hmm. um, that wasn't even working, and so it just got to the point where the last time. I had to call into the emergency room. I remember I was in the shower and I just started to lose feeling and sensation in my arm and in my legs. I had to like climb out of the shower naked, wet, and try to, and still at the time, still couldn't see anything. I had to crawl over the floor 
make my way to the bed to even try to find my phone to even call and I and they had to like break into my room they had to call security forces to break into my dorm room because we had like locks on the door like a like a key card kind of like a hotel room so they had to break into my room um completely naked people I used to work with could see me naked or people people have to have that know me because I've cooked their food before saw me naked and had to cover me up and strap me to a board and walk me three flights downstairs to get to the ambulance it was it was so bad it was so bad embarrassing (laughs) I can't believe that that actually happened but yeah it was I was in a lot of pain a lot of pain I'm really in disbelief that that all of this could have happened and no one no one advocated for you and and mm-hmm. this is this is what you had to deal with that's a, a, an amazing amount of nonsense to endure you fought through it like a damn champ yeah girl i had to cuz no one no like you said no one was advocating for me i had to advocate for myself like and i i would have to tell them like look something is wrong like and, and it's it's really tough because it's in the military. So they just automatically assume that people are lying about what's wrong with them so they can get out of the military. Mm-hmm. Cause that is a common thing that happens. Some people are so miserable in, in the military, but they can't get out until the contract is over. So they will say, or they will um, say something's wrong physically so that they can be discharged honorably, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if they thought that that was the same situation with me. And I'm like, it's it's worse than y'all think it is like I'm not telling you I need glasses like no this is not a situation where I need glasses like something is seriously wrong if I'm seeing double of everything something's wrong like that's not something that glasses can fix like that's something seriously seriously wrong like that means like it's neuro that's something in the eyes that's something wrong you know and every morning when after they did put me into the Japanese hospital every morning a group of Japanese doctors would come and they would talk amongst themselves in Japanese and I remember them coming over to the bed and they would flash a light in my eyes and all they would ask is how is your vision and I would say it's getting worse because it was it was steadily getting worse and they would talk amongst themselves again in Japanese and then say okay we'll see you tomorrow and they did that every single day and they never did anything they never did I mean they did one procedure which is is sometimes it's still hard for me to talk about um but just because of the pain that it that I had to go through but they never once explained the procedure to me they never told me what it was for um all they told me was that they're going to stick me with a needle down in my lady part areas like my lady area for what reason I don't know but they said they're going to inject something down there and then I would feel heat on my face. So I was pretty much strapped into what I thought was maybe an MRI machine. Um, but it was actually might've been bigger, but they had me strapped down. So my head was strapped and I couldn't move. And the doctor was injecting fluid down in that area, like into my skin, but down in that lady part area. Right. Mm-hmm. And so he would say, okay, you're going to feel heat on one side of your face and then it'll go to the other side of the face. And I said, okay. So when it started, Oh, my lord like it literally felt as if my physical like my actual skull was on fire like it i i have no words to explain the type of heat that that was i don't it wasn't it was nothing was touching me nothing was touching me so i don't know where the heat came from or what it was doing i don't know if it's because he injected something and whatever machine i was in was reacting to the fluid that he injected or something but my face was in on fire and it was to the point where my eyeball itself was even hotter than 
the skull was. And I, I remember crying because it was, I was in so much pain. And then he had said, okay, it's time for the other side. So I had to go through that same pain twice, but just on the different side. And then after that, I remember they put me back in my room. And when I opened my eyes, everything was just completely white like absolutely white like there was i don't oh, know terrifying yes i was like i don't know what they just did to me i have no why is everything white and it got to the point where maybe the next day i opened my eyes and i thought so <laughs> i thought someone had put like a little lamp in my room where you can see things floating on the on the walls that's what I, guess, I was looking around and I was seeing everything just floating on the ceilings and on the walls. And I, I, I thought they were like cherry blossom leaves. I don't, I thought they looked like leaves or cherry blossom leaves. I thought someone put something in my room, but they don't put anything in my room. That was my vision, seeing white, bright things just floating. And I, I, and then after that, maybe my vision was like that for maybe three days. Everything was very, very bright. And then after that, everything just started getting dark just dark and dark and dark. And I remember I had one friend come visit me the whole month. And I had said, I asked the the nurse if she could turn the light on because um, you were coming over because um, it looks kind of dark in here. And she was like, Vicky, the light is on. And I was like, what? And she's like, the light's on and there's window coming through the, there's light coming through the window. Can you not see that? And I was like, no, it literally looks like I was in a dark room. And so, that's when that's when we noticed that that's when we figured out that my vision was definitely decreasing after that. When you uh, left the military, um, this was like a, a medically retired situation, correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, you're a civilian now, mm-hmm. and and you're you're blind because mm-hmm. of all of that had happened. What did you do? What were your next steps? So after. After the surgery and after they decided that since I was now deemed legally blind and I was going to be medically retired and there's nothing else they could do for me, that's when they started the medical board process. So that's the process of when they they decide how much you'll be monthly compensated for the rest of your life, depending on the severity of your injury. So this whole time I was still active duty, but I couldn't work. So anything I was supposed to do was still ordered by the military. So they ordered me to go to the VA's blind rehab center in Augusta, Georgia. So I had no choice. They ordered it. Um, Mm -hmm. And I was not allowed to leave until they told me I could leave. So I, that's where I went. And still to this day, I am the youngest veteran that they've ever had in their facility because most people who went to the blind rehab with the VA were older vets like who were losing their vision because of older age. So people in their 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, like all that. So I was 20 at the time and I actually spent my 21st birthday there. I turned 21 in blind rehab. Um, So there, that's when they taught me how to use my cell phone. Um, I learned how to work my MacBook there, Um, computers, technology, all types of devices. Um, That's where I had my mobility training at. they also had a class where it's kind of like arts and craft class that you learn how to do stuff with, without really seeing it much and stuff like that. So I was there for probably two months straight and I was not allowed to leave until they said I could. So um, there they told me um, with my military benefits, I you know would have the, the financial compensation for the rest of my life. I also would have um, pretty much two pools of money to go to school with. 
One was my GI Bill. So if you serve like at least two years in the military, you get like 38 months worth of tuition, I think. And if you serve longer, then it's more. But um, that and then they also said there's another thing called, you know, voc rehab, which I do believe is that's it's similar to civilian voc rehab. Um, I don't know if the requirements are the same, but they said that's also another pool of money um, that I could use or pull from if I wanted to go to school. They would pay for all of my schooling. Um anything that I needed to be trained for to get a job, that's what they were paid for. So um, they gave me all of those. They also told me I could get um, a, a house loan through the VA. And I saw, I can also get my house adapted for free to accommodate my needs. And then the last thing was a, uh, an auto grant. So because of my vision and I think it, I think it applies to vision loss and I think also some forms of paralysis that you can fill out a form application. And if you get approved, they will give you a check for probably, I think right now it's around 21,000 and you can go to any car dealership that you want and hand in them voucher and you can buy a car. And I was like, um, what's the purpose of me buying a car if I can't see or drive? And I was like, well, it's, you know, it's for someone else in your family who can drive you around, you know, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a once in a lifetime thing. You can't get it more than once. You just do it once and you just go pick out a dream car, I guess. That's, you know, at least within the 21,000 range and anything above it, you would pay the difference, but you know, it's good. I feel like it's more better for people who have paralysis because their, their vehicle can be adapted to where they can drive the vehicle with their hands and, and stuff like that. But since they included vision loss in there too, they said, okay, you can get a car if you want. And I was like, okay, thanks, I guess. But um, so that's pretty much it. And pretty much all of my equipment, I didn't have to pay for it. My CCTV, um, magnifiers, braille typewriter thing, um, anything like that. It was all free for me. And all of my medical bills were free as well. I was in the hospital for a very, very long time and all of it was, was paid for since I was active duty. How did you finish out your contract? So, um, so I spent the, the, I spent the one whole month in Japan in the hospital. That was my last time doing anything in Japan was my, that entire month in the hospital. After that, they sent out a team. It's called medical evacuation. They sent a, a group of people to come get you and put you on a cargo plane. Um, and they put me on a plane and flew me to San Diego Naval Base. Um, so I spent all of February um, in San Diego in kind of like a, a similar dorm. But this was a dorm room or dorm building for other for all military personnel who had some type of injury and were waiting to be discharged. Mm-hmm. So you could have a parent come stay with you. So my mom would fly out. Um, for a week or two and then she would fly back home and then my dad would come out for another week or two so I was never there by myself because I if if I was there by myself I wouldn't have known how to get groceries or or anything like that so my parent my mom and my dad flew out twice to be with me over there and we spent all of February there and then after that they flew me back to South Carolina uh, where I live and they wanted me to still be close to a military base just in case they needed me. Mm-hmm. And so at the time, my dad did stay near Shaw Shaw Air, Air Force Base, which is in Columbia, South Carolina. So while I was there, um, I pretty much stayed at home at his house. I They did try to, once again, the military would try to get you anytime they can get you. They had said, well, technically, since you're active duty, even though you're in the, the medical process of getting out you could still come in and do work yes yes so I had one woman 
um she I guess she was in charge of me or whatever she was like um I guess you know you can't go back to your regular job cooking and you can't go back to being an accountant so what you can do is if you want you can come to my office and shred paper and I was like any way they can get you any way that they can get you like they do not care about you at all like this at this point I had already had my surgery I, I had already I had I had yeah I had eye surgery after this is before no, this was after I had eye surgery, so my vision was still um, trying to readjust and still trying to heal. So my vision was unstable at this point, and this is what this was before I even had mobility training. So I didn't even have a cane at this point in time when she asked me, "Could I come into the office to shred paper?" And I was like, um, "No, I'm not doing that." I, I was like, and I was like, "I don't have a way to get to." the uh the air force base which was maybe like a 30 minute from 30 minute drive from my dad's house but he's a truck driver Mm -hmm. so he was gone during the week so i was like unless you're willing to drive 30 45 minutes out of your way monday through friday to come get me and bring me back then i'm not going in and she's like oh yeah you're right i would have to come get you yes you would ma'am so and i'm not coming in just to (laughs) show paper like i'm not like (laughs) so they was like okay so after that they that's when they let me just be at home for uh, a month and then I went to blind rehab after that after blind rehab Mm -hmm. is that around the time that you decided to become a criminal justice major absolutely not girl nope (laughs) after after blind rehab I really did not know what I wanted to do Mm -hmm. I that's when I went through I guess depression without even knowing I was depressed um because after I was able to leave from not around the air force base anymore they allowed me to come back to my hometown where all of my family and friends and where i grew up and where i went to school all that stuff so when i came back to my my actual hometown i really went through a depression phase where i didn't know what i wanted to do because i i had joined right after high school so i was 18 when i went in Mm -hmm. and i i went in because i didn't know what i wanted to go to school for so i was like okay i'm in the military i'll figure it out somewhere along the years where I'm contracted in. So now that my career got cut so short, I I don't have any, I don't have a plan B, you know? So I think probably for three years, almost, almost four, um, I had, I just sat at home and just did nothing. I, I, I just, I kept away from most people. I stopped hanging out with friends and, you know, I, I rarely ever went anywhere. I really, really went through a dark, dark place because I, I just felt like my life was over. I didn't, I didn't know how to adjust back to just being at home where everybody knew me as sighted. And now I'm the blind girl who has to ask for help and, and get taken to this place as ask for rides here and, you know, stuff like that. So I didn't, I didn't discover that I want to go to school for criminal justice until early this year. And this Mm -hmm. is my, it'll be five years in December of my visual impairment. So it wasn't until this, just this, just this year that I decided to do that. See, that's what I, I think we, as uh, people who are blind from birth, we don't, we don't um, really understand that kind of an impact of losing sight because we never had it. Mm-hmm. Um, so during this time um, when you're depressed and then you're going through all of this, was it even a thought to you? Like, um, how can I, how am I like, well, I'm sure it was a thought, but like the process of, of figuring out how I'm going to live now mm-hmm. as a blind individual. Um, how do you get from that dark place to, okay, I'm going to, to figure this out. I'm going to 
you know, do get back to my life, essentially. Like, mm-hmm. that must be a very, you know, hard thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely was. And I think, I think at times, it's like, kind of like anything, it's an ebb and a flow thing. So I feel like within the past four years, there was times where I would get super, super motivated. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Like, I'm not going to let this define me. I'm not going to let this stop me. Like, I'm, I'm doing this, right? And then two days later you're like what was I thinking like I don't even how am I gonna do it like I said I want to do it but how am I gonna do it I don't I don't know what to, I don't know what to look for I don't know I, and, then you, and then you start feeling like you start letting thoughts of oh, I can't do this like there's no way I can do this I don't know what I was thinking I'm I'm gonna just this is my life now and there's no hope for me and it and then there's like once again and it's like a cycle you get like another few months later oh wait I feel I feel great now like I said I wasn't gonna let this stop me and I know I said this before but let me try it again and then you go back down again so it's like an up and down up and down thing so I did that for like four years and I think I just got to the point I think what really for me personally what really made me change and really actually want to do something was when I had my daughter Now, I, in my mind, before I had lost my vision, I had never wanted to have a child first before I had a career. Like, I wanted to go to school first and then have my career and then have a child. You know, Mm -hmm. I never, I didn't want to have to juggle or I didn't want to have to, I didn't want to be a stay-at-home mom, honestly. I really didn't. I wanted to be working. My child would be somewhere either in school, daycare, stuff like that. But when I got pregnant unexpectedly, you know, I was like, okay, well, I was fine for four years, you know, being stuck in the house. You know, I made my house very nice and amazing to live in, you know, but now I'm stuck in the house with a baby. Like, and that, that puts you into a whole other type of depression, you know, because you thought you were like depressed just, you know, just from your vision and you couldn't go anywhere because everyone works and, and stuff like that. But now add a baby, a crying baby, a fussy baby, a, a baby that needs all of your attention it just got to a point where I was like, okay, this is getting, my depression is getting much, much worse. And I don't want to do this anymore. Like, I don't, I don't want to live like this. I don't want to feel trapped inside of my house anymore. Like before when it was just me and it was just peace and quiet, like that's fine, you know, but now it's a baby. Oh no, I need a break. I need to do something more. Like I, I can't, I can't just be a mom, you know? And it, it really wasn't until after my daughter, probably a year of her life. I spent a whole year with her in the house learning how to be a mom, adjusting to be a blind mom at that. And I was like, I can't, I can't keep just doing this. Like there has to be more for me to do. Like I, I want my daughter to, to grow up seeing like mom can still do stuff, even though she lost her vision, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's when I decided to go back to school and, and I chose criminal justice. I never had like a, a, a like for law. Honestly, I really didn't. I, I thought everything about the law everything about you know criminal justice was just so boring to me I even like I didn't understand why people would watch that show called law and order I was like this is so boring like I I really didn't like it and so it wasn't until maybe maybe at the ending in part of last year I was on TikTok this is when TikTok started to blow up and get very very popular so I was on TikTok and I started hearing this story of a little girl out in Texas who was allegedly being abused by her mom and the mom's boyfriend. Um, And it blew up so big. And just hearing the story and seeing the video on TikTok, it really broke my heart. And 
And I was like, I, I, I want to do something to help her, you know, because the criminal justice was the system was failing her, you know, especially with her mom, her mom's the mom's boyfriend being a police officer. No one was listening to this little girl. They were taking the word over the police boyfriend over a little girl. And mm-hmm. so the dad was trying to get things done, trying to get um, child protective services involved. There were so many videos and recordings of, you know, social workers coming to the house to check up on the little girl. But when they were never actually even checking up on the girl, like they didn't even physically see the girl in person. They would just talk to the mom outside the door, you know, so it, it and then the judges, they weren't, it, it was just so much about this case where everything in the system was failing this little girl. And it made me so angry. Like how, how can you see this little girl, see all the evidence and still not want to help her, you know? And so that's when I started to to take part in advocating for her, like making phone calls to the judge, sending out emails, like doing whatever I could from South Carolina. And a lot of people around the world were doing that same thing from where they were, like people outside the country mm-hmm. all over was trying to help this little girl. And it got to the point where it got, it blew up so big. The judge, was getting death threats for not helping and they had to replace the judge. And, and then finally, after all of that work, they finally did take her case serious and they started looking at actual, all the evidence. She eventually got removed from the mom's custody and into the dad's custody. And it felt really great to be a part of that. It really did. And so that's when I had the first type of instance where I enjoyed doing, you know, advocacy work for children, you know, Mm -hmm. And then there was another situation where like maybe a couple months later after that, I saw a woman in my own state who was going through the same thing. Her, her children were being abused by their own dad, but because she used to be a drug addict, she might've been sober, maybe eight years now. They still would not believe the mom saying that her children came to her and told her that they were being abused and they didn't believe her because of her, you know, her past history with drugs. You know, and then she was she was providing so much evidence. And once again, the system was failing all the kids. Like, I think she maybe had four kids. And so it was just I was like, this is happening, like literally down the street from me. Like I it makes me so angry. And I was like, I want to do something like I I I, if I could do something, I'm going to do it. You know, and that's when I discovered that I, I had a love for advocating for victims of abuse. You know, it, it I was like, I'm such a passionate person and I and I hate when people are don't have anyone to fight for them. So I was like, okay, what what can I do? What what do I have to do to be an advocate? You know? And mm-hmm. that's when I started researching more and more about it. And they said a great thing to have is to have a criminal justice major underneath your belt. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna do that. And he said also like psychology work as well um would be beneficial at first. So I said, okay, since the criminal justice is only two years starting out. I said, I'll go ahead and do, I'll use my first benefit from the military that will pay for all of the first two years of the mm-hmm. criminal justice program. And I said, and then I'll use the second pool of money that they told me in blind rehab. And I'll use that for the next four years to do double major in psychology and criminal justice together. So that's how it all came together for me to choose criminal justice. Cause I want to advocate for not just kids, but women and men. Cause I have, I have guy friends who are also have been in abusive situations and had no one to advocate for them too. Right. So that's so how it all came. Did you ever think, well, gosh, I'm, I'm blind. How am I going to do this now? Girl? Like, yes. <laughs> and, and you still like, cause this just as, as somebody who's blind, like this just seems so daunting. And this is, 
something mm-hmm. I really admire about you for doing because um, this seems like it's not, you know, just writing papers and whatnot. There must be a lot of reading involved. Mm-hmm. Girl, there's so much reading. I wanted to make sure that whatever college I chose, that they would have a disability office that could help me get through all of the reading and stuff that I needed to do. So when I called them to make sure they had told me, okay, well, the criminal justice program, you could either come on campus and take classes or you can do it online. Uh So I said, okay, I'll do online since I'm still, you know, I want to be home with my child and with COVID and stuff like that. I don't feel comfortable putting her in a daycare just yet, you know? So I was like, okay, I'll do the online thing. How can I do this as someone who is, who's visually impaired? And they let me know, okay, everything's online. As long as you have a computer, you know, we just updated the system where everything is accessible enough for your voiceover and voice reader to be able to read things to you. And also all of your textbooks, you can get them as eBooks instead of physical copies. So that should work with your, your software. I said, okay, so we did all that and they sent me like uh, examples of some books to make sure that everything worked out. And I said, okay, it does work out. And I said, I guess I'm, I'll just have to be an auditory learner instead of a visual learner like I used to be. And that's probably the hardest thing about school for me personally is having to hear all of the information and then go take notes. Because I, 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 I was so used to just looking at books and looking at the words and had like kind of like a photographic memory almost and then remembering. Oh, wow. And then yeah. now, now having to rely on hearing, I like, I literally would just forget everything I just heard, honestly. <laughs> that is crazy. That is, that is really, you have to change your whole system of learning up, like, especially yes. from, from memorizing words and things like that um, to, to trying to have them read to you. Because like, mm-hmm. I know for me, I'm an auditory learner. Mm-hmm. Um, I could not imagine having to be to, to change up my whole way of learning. Like yes, new, new mnemonic ways of devices and all that kind of stuff. wow. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that's so, why it takes it takes me so long to get through everything because I have to hear it first, and then as soon as I go to go type it in my notes, I'm like, what did I just what did I just hear? Like I, I like in my it's like my brain just cannot even process it. So now I have to stop and go back and find where I was just at and have it read to me like two or three more times. And then, like, it's like a, a back and forth thing because I just, it, my brain just cannot just keep it and retain what I just heard. Do you have voiceover just read it to you? Or do you also <laughs> use something like a Bookshare and uh, like a BookSense? Uh, nope, I, I just have it, uh, the voiceover read it to me. So I'll, they, they mostly, I think they have upgraded to where they have their own apps now where the books can be found and they give you an access code. And so all of them, um, can be read with voiceover on my iPhone. So that's what I use mostly to to read is on my iPhone. There have been, I think the last two classes I just finished taking, they were trying to fit, they were trying to send me physical books. And mm-hmm. I was like, um, no, that's not going to work because that's a lot of reading I'm going to have to do. And I can't sit at my CCT. I mean, my, my CCT TV could do it, but that would take even longer than me doing on my phone. So I was like, um, can you guys find me ebooks for them? And they could not find me ebooks. So they had to have someone or somehow, I don't know how they did it, but they pretty much transcribed the entire textbook into a PDF file. So instead of the actual book, I don't know who did it or how they were able to, it took a while for them to get it back to me though. So they eventually sent me PDF files to be able to use voiceover to read the textbooks with as well. Are there things that, that are visual in your class? And if so, how do you get around that? <laughs> yes, there are. There's. I remember um, 
I think my first class, it was the intro to criminal justice class. There was um, a segment uh, where he was describing the different types of jail cells or the different types of layouts of cells. Um, like, um, like I forgot what the names were, but it was like different. There was probably like four of them. And he had them on like a, a graph on a picture. And I was like, I literally cannot see any of this like i'm just have to listen to how he describes it which he, i i feel like he did an okay job describing it but then when it came to the test there was a question but it was just one question where it was a picture of the particular cell one of them he described and it was telling you to to, to identify which type of cell this was based on the picture and i was like um at, at that time i didn't even know about the zoom feature um so I really, I didn't know that I could zoom in like uh, the three, was it double tap with three fingers. I didn't mm-hmm. know I could do that at the time. And so I was like, I, and I was already in the middle of the quiz and I couldn't exit out or, you know, let him know. And so I just had to answer the question j- just randomly because I couldn't see it. And then after the quiz, I had got, I didn't get a bad grade, but I could have gotten higher, but I didn't know if I had missed that question or not. So I had to inbox my, or I had to email my, my professor and ask him or tell him, um, there was one question on the quiz that I physically couldn't see and the voiceover didn't read it because it's not going to describe the picture to me. Um, so I don't know if I missed that question or not, but if I did, it was because of my visual impairment, not because I didn't know. And so, um, he never responded. So I don't know if I ever got the question right or wrong, but that really did. Wow. It really did do. It really did break my heart a little bit because I and it shouldn't have been that big of a deal, but it was. Yeah. You know, because it, it, it to anybody else, you know, it wouldn't have been a big deal, but to us, like I, I don't want to get a question wrong because I can't see it, not because I don't know it. You know. Right. And so, and then just a couple of days ago, my last class, the whole video was animated, like there was no audio description available. There was just sound and the sounds of swords clinking together and and I literally couldn't see anything. So when I emailed my professor and told her, she told me that the disability office never even told her of my visual impairment. Oh which, my God. And they're, they're supposed to do it before every semester and send it out to every teacher. And so I was under the impression that she already knew that I had a visual impairment, but she had no idea. And she was really great about it, really sweet about it. And she actually... I don't know how she did it. I don't know if she sat there and watched the whole video again, but in her email at the very bottom, she completely described the entire video for me to let me know what was happening. And so I was, that made me want to cry because I'm like, okay, she said nothing in the video was really important for tests or quizzes that I needed to know. It was just something fun, like a fun fact information about something in the medieval period. So she's like, there's nothing really you need to know, but you know, I'll describe it for you anyway. And I was like, it, it was like a long, long paragraph and it made me really emotional because I'm like, that was really nice of you to do that, even though you you said there's nothing I needed to know in it, but it was nice that you did that or you took time to type all that for me. Yeah, and to just be inclusive in general. When you run into these things, because mm-hmm. I know for me, when, when I reach hard things, like it's very hard to keep on going because it gets daunting. You really have these ambitions and then you run into the blind wall. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, you just like, you become so deflated. What keeps you going? 
Uh, girl, I have no idea. I have no idea because it's it's just something in me that like, even though I feel so defeated, like I just want to cry and I just want to give up something in me just says, keep going or keep trying, like try everything that you possibly can. Um, I remember this one project I had to do on PowerPoint and the PowerPoint was just not accessible. Like, it, I don't know what I thought. I thought it would be. But it just wasn't. I don't know if it's because my software was old or I don't know what it was. But with voiceover, it just was not letting me do anything. So I had to literally spend multiple days, hours at a time using the camera on my phone to zoom in super, super big on my laptop to just be able to see stuff, to type stuff, had to add pictures and and all kinds of stuff. And I really, really just wanted to cry like this was so hard. And I was like and it was times where I was like, if I wasn't blind, I wouldn't have this problem. You know, and it it was getting to the point where I was just like, I really just was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't, I I don't even want to turn it in because I don't know if I'm making any grammatical errors. I don't have anyone here to check with over me or to review it for me. It's just me by myself, you know. And so I ended up not being able to turn it in because I couldn't figure out how to turn the PowerPoint into a file to submit it to class, and then. I, I emailed the professor before the deadline and told him I was having trouble because of my visual impairment, you know? So he knew about it prior. I wasn't able to submit it on time. And cause I, well, I sent him the link to it via email. Cause you're supposed to submit it through the, the website, the school's website. It wouldn't let me. So I sent him the email of the PowerPoint and I thought that that was good enough. Nope. The next day I got an F because I didn't submit it through the, website the school's website but then he also gave me the option he was like try to figure out how to turn it into a file and i'll allow you to submit it in late so i was like okay i'll try my best i don't know how i figured out how to do it but i kept working on it and kept working on it and i was able to submit it and to him i'm like okay now my grades will be affected because now it's late you know Mm -hmm. so i was really feeling so defeated at that point because i i tried everything i could have tried i i i don't i don't know what else i could have done you know yeah. And so the next day the grade comes back and he gave me a 100. Oh wow. I, oh, I wanted to cry so bad. I wanted to cry so bad cuz I was like what I I I I submitted it late. I wasn't able to record it cuz I couldn't figure out how to do the screen recording on my laptop. So I was like how did I get a 100 when I didn't even fill in the requirements and it was late, you know? And I guess it was just the kindness out of his heart knowing that I tried my best and I did I did everything I thought I could do and he still gave me a 100 and I was like okay so that little little moments like that are what keep me going like as long as you just try your best and you 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 exhaust all your options you know that's all you can really do you know like with our with what we're limited with as long as you try to the very very brink of your limitations you know that's what keeps me going. From what I'm hearing, like your story is extremely inspirational. And I know that for those others who are out there who are blind, they would definitely be inspired by your story. Watching you on TikTok um, and your willingness to, to put yourself out there and be yourself and talk about your blindness was inspiring mm-hmm. for me to do that. I've been on social media for years. I never mm-hmm. spoke about my blindness. Wow. And you are setting an example for what we are capable of as blind individuals. I hope you know that. Girl, you're going to make me cry. <laughs> oh my gosh. Thank you. I And I never thought I could, you know, 
Um, sorry, I hear my child waking up. I never thought I would ever be inspirational to anybody, you know, because I there were times where I definitely needed inspiration and I was inspired by other people on TikTok as well. Like I it it really is um like a group effort or a group domino effect. Like I see other people that inspired me and then somehow I'm inspiring other people, which is still crazy to think. Because I, you really don't think or notice that the little stuff you do it, it can change a different per- another person's life somehow. So how how did you end up on TikTok? What made you get over to TikTok? Um, I don't even know how it came to be on TikTok. I just heard that there's a new app and everyone was going crazy about it and and stuff like that. So I just downloaded it because you know everybody else was downloading it and um, you know it was at the time where I was seeing a lot of just dance videos and and stuff like that. So it really wasn't that many you know blind TikTokers on there. Um, and I think I saw just one, um, one girl who had the same condition as me and hearing her story, like, cause at the time, like I said, my condition was thought to be rare. Um, cause they said it could have been caused by birth control as well. So I, me watching another girl tell her story, how she lost her vision because of her birth control. I was like, wow, like maybe, maybe I could talk about mine as well. Cause I, after what happened to me, all I told you, I never really told anyone that story like I I didn't want to it was still like a sensitive topic for me to relive or to retell all that I went through so seeing some wells tell their story about how they lost their vision due to the same condition that's what inspired me to start making videos as well about my condition what made you decide to like form the whatsapp groups and all of, of that that was going on and were, were you in school currently when you were doing this or was it like because of COVID that was shut down um, okay, so when I created the the WhatsApp group chats, I had just finished my, my first semester of school. Um, and that first one was probably the hardest just because I was trying to figure out um, how am I going to do school, juggling being a mom and a student at the same time, plus trying to figure out the technology to work and to read the textbooks and stuff like that. So it was like the very first, after my first semester, I had probably three weeks of break. Um, until my next semester started and so at that time there was more and more people on blind talk and I was seeing more people come out and I was like you know what I I really don't have anybody around me that is blind or vision impaired I don't have any blind friends I the closest friend I knew to be blind was all the way in Atlanta from four years ago when I had with the the blind rehab so I was like okay I know WhatsApp is accessible I know we can send you know audio messages you know stuff like that so let me just let me just make a video to see if people wanted to, to be friends and, and form a support group on WhatsApp and, you know, go from there. And I, at the time, I probably only had maybe a thousand followers, you know, and I, I wasn't really still talking about my blindness as much. I did some videos, but not a lot. And that video ended up getting so big and blowing up and I had so many people wanting to join and, and say, yeah, that they're interested. So I was like, okay, I'll, let me create just these different groups. Um, one for the females, one for the guys, the moms, the parents, and then, you know, the mixed group. And I just started adding people from there. So I spent pretty much those three weeks of break from school, inboxing people and getting their numbers and getting their information and really starting up the groups, honestly. So this was not just... Um, from what I'm understanding, it's not just so. Oh, hey, let's throw these people in a group. You actually took the time to get to know people. Yes. Before putting them in. 
Yes, I did. I had, I, I went through all the comments and I would click on the person's profile, um, whoever, whatever they had said they wanted, which group to join. So I was going through the profile. Um, if they didn't have any videos or content, um, but they had a profile picture, I said, okay, well, at least I can see a little bit in your profile that you're at least an adult and you are the gender that you say you are. So I can put you in the right group. And I had, I, I didn't add people who didn't have any content or any profile or even a name. They just had like one of those usernames that would just say username and a mm. bunch of numbers. So I was like, okay, I really can't, you know, verify that you are who you say you are, you know, and I don't feel comfortable doing that because we're going to be exchanging phone numbers. So I tried to go through as many comments as I could and add as many people as I could. Um, and then it just got to a point where my semester was about to start back up. Um, and I was like, I don't, I don't have time to look through them all again. Cause it, it just kept getting more and more and more comments and stuff like that. So I was like, okay, I added at least enough for each group to, for people to work with, you know? Mm -hmm. And when I get time in between my classes then I'll slowly start trickling people in. So I think when it came to you, Sasha, I think I was, you were one of the people who I was trickling in after the first big wave. Um, so I was like, okay, I'm gonna just inbox people and, and see, you know, which group they want to be in and stuff like that. And it just kind of just went from there. When you started these groups, did you have any idea what, um, how inspiring they were going to be? Um, because I've seen so much within that group and, and just support groups really helping people. So mm -hmm. was that like your end goal or did you have an idea of what you wanted to accomplish? I I never knew that it would get um I never knew that we would be where we are today. I honestly thought that you know it would be one of the situations where everybody's like, "Yeah, I'm all for it," and it lasts for maybe a month, and then everybody just leaves and just stops being active. So I didn't. I never wanted that, but I I was expecting that because that's how most groups form. You know, everything's good and great in the beginning, and then. And one just starts disappearing, you know. Um, but with this one, I don't know how I was able to choose the perfect people that kind of have the same kind of values as me without even really us discussing our values. You know, we all decided like we wanted lifelong friendships. You know, we didn't want to be just um, friends for a season, you know, or like we, we want it to be more. And it was so great and amazing how <laughs> each person just kind of just turned out to be that way um and we started to actually form a family you know and so I I'm still shocked to this day that um we are all still communicating and <laughs> bonding and stuff like that because I never knew that it would be like this I thought it would be done a month into it honestly what would you say to those who I'm sure since the first video went up um have inboxed you and, and haven't been in like come into the groups mm-hmm um I would say I'm so sorry if I did not get to you um I wish I could have added everybody um especially there were kids who wanted to be a part of it um and I just at the time like I said I never knew that it would blow up the way it did I didn't expect to have as many res uh responses as I did get and I I tried my best to get everybody in um and I also didn't feel comfortable communicating with children or uh, forming a group specifically for like, kids and teenagers because I would also have to be a 
I want to say be a part of it, but overseeing it, you know, and Mm -hmm. that would have been a whole more type of responsibility to make sure I verified people's ages that would go into those groups. So it just got to the point where it's got too much for me. Um, But I would say, you know, even though you couldn't be in the groups I created, you could still create your own groups. It's completely free. All you have to do is do exactly what I did. Just make a video asking if people out there want to be a part of your support group, whether it's your vision loss or some other type of disability and, and see who, who just wants to be a part of it and just be careful. You know, the internet is still a dangerous place. So do, do use your best judgment and try to verify people um, before you, you actually bring them in. But, you know, if I can do it, anyone could do it. Um, with everything that you do, like you, I mean, girl, <laughs> like with everything you have, you got your, your parental life, your school life, um, mm-hmm. your personal life, your social mm-hmm. life, and then these groups, like mm-hmm. what gives you peace? How do you relax? Do you relax? <laughs> um, um, I, I'm, I am very spiritual, so I do hold on to my faith a lot and I do lean on to my faith a lot that out of all the stuff I do that's the number one thing that does give me peace is my faith um I'll turn on some gospel music like and it just it just does something to me it calms me down if I'm mad if I'm angry if I'm sad it just literally just it's like a peace that washes over me that just is unexplainable so I'll I'll try to go as far as I can doing everything, juggling and juggling and juggling. But then they'll get to a point where I'm like, okay, I'm about to snap. I'm about to break. Like I'm at my breaking point. And I just, that's when I start leaning on my faith more. And that's, that's literally what gets me through it. That's the only thing. <laughs> um, Cause like you said, that's a lot of stuff to do. A lot of stuff to do and juggle. And I, I, I stay up to probably like five or six o'clock in the morning doing schoolwork and then maybe only get like three hours of sleep and then do the same day, same thing over the next day. So I'm like, I'm running on no sleep, but it's okay. Cause I know I'm getting things accomplished, you know? <laughs> so what is something that you do in your spare time that you just, you find relaxing? Watching Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> if I ever, if I have a spare moment to do anything, I I pull out my phone, pull up Netflix, and I watch Grey's Anatomy. And I don't know why that's my favorite thing to do, but it is. I've I've seen Grey's Anatomy front to back like a million times, but I never get tired of it. It's it lets me escape from my responsibilities, watching other people on TV go through stuff. I guess so. Uh, that's that's one thing I pretty much do is is Netflix if I can um, or sleep when I can. But <laughs> that's pretty much it. <laughs> what is something that you would want um, people to know about you? Like somebody who is uh, completely sighted, doesn't know at all what it's like to be blind or anyone in general. What's something you would want them to know? What's something they, that you would want them to know? Um, to someone who's sighted, mm, I would say when you are dealing just with me or with anyone who has a visual impairment, it would be better to ask them if they need help or assistance doing something, you know, um, because a lot of times people run into a situation where they try to baby you and, and kind of make you feel like a child because of your disability or something like that. So I would rather you, you know, if you can see me, you know, watch what I do. If it looks like I'm struggling, try to find something, then ask me, you know, if I need help. But if you see me, you know, doing my thing, if I'm in the kitchen cooking or if I'm 
you know, doing great, doing fine, then you don't have to step in, you know, but just it's it's really easy to tell if someone's struggling or not, you know, and it gets to a point where, you know, you want to be helpful, but not babying or trying to do everything for the person, you know, so I would say just be mindful that everybody's different. Everybody has different levels of independence. And so it'd be better to ask, hey, do you need help with this? Or is there anything I can do? You know, and if you do have questions about my visual impairment, you know, try to be nice with them. Try not to be like ignorant, I guess, because you can ask some kind of like ignorant questions, you know, like the whole how do blind people wipe type of thing. Like that was just completely weird. But just be mindful and and be open-minded and actually listen to a person when they tell you certain things about their vision or their disability. What's something that you would want to say to your community, to to anyone that you consider like, a part of your community? Mm-hmm. Um, I would say don't let fear be the reason why you don't do certain things. Um, yes, it is scary. And yes, you may have a lot of thoughts that will come in that says that you can't do this or what's the point in even trying? Um, you know, don't let those um, rule your life you know, have it in your mindset that you can still do anything and everything that you want to, something that you have a passion for, something that you have a love for, um, do it, you know, it, there's, there's no harm in trying, you know, if it doesn't work, that's okay, that might not have been the thing for you, but there doesn't mean that there's something else out there that won't be for you as well, something might just click and you'll just be good at it, um, so keep trying, keep going, keep pushing, and, and don't let little things like a, a visual impairment or something it was not little but don't let things like that that normally would stop a normal person stop you because everyone on this earth has a purpose to do something and you just have to find what your purpose is i'm gonna do a quick rapid fire okay is it just um one word answer it's like just okay. really quick oh right. lord okay okay <laughs> uh, do you prefer daytime or nighttime nighttime cane or no cane Mm, cane sunglasses or no sunglasses sunglasses how do you see your phone voice over and zoom is it hard to control a camera for your tiktok videos no favorite phone app oh um tiktok (laughs) (laughs) um team taco team burger uh team burger team apple or android apple what do you mean <laughs> <laughs> do you prefer audio description yes mm-hmm. cool that's wonderful well thank you so much for your time vicky and thank you for answering all of my questions and sitting with me today i really really appreciate it your story is so inspiring i feel like i i, I could not have picked a better person to start off our interviews um, you, you are a damn inspiring person Vicky I really hope you know that thank you so much Sasha I love you girl <laughs> I am so grateful to Vicky for kicking this entire interview process off because her story was extremely harrowing and I was definitely awed by a lot of the things that had happened to her um there's definitely a lot of things that had to be edited out for time but i hope that in the future we can um release a little bit more for you guys in the future i 
I think she's really a great example of what people can do if they set their mind to it. From everything that she endured to everything that she continues and aspires to do, it's that mindset that keeps you going, that mindset that starts the inertia that continues to to propel you on to what you want to succeed in. I hope that you will continue to follow the podcast and to subscribe and see what more we have in store for you. I hope you join us next week when our guest will be the intelligent, beautiful, amazing, and goofy Shanice Nieves. And she makes being a blind mom look so easy. But really, is it? Please join us next week and find out. Until then, have a great week and we'll see you next time. listening to the podcast this week we hope you enjoyed the show and look forward to seeing you next time you can find us as vision magnified official on tiktok and instagram and on twitter as vmo podcast see you next time <laughs>